okay, we were talking about how like the way that we are, it, like individually, are, we don't, we don't, um, well, these algorithms that Facebook makes and stuff like that kind of keep us in the eco, in the eco chamber where we wouldn't, right, 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 right. Okay. I got you. not even, you know, going out and doing things anymore. <clears throat> um, you know, I think along those lines of, you know, this, this constant stimulus feedback, this constant reaffirmation of our own thoughts and beliefs that is diametrically opposed to what growth is. And when I say growth, I mean human growth. You know, what makes us grow and defines us are the challenges that we experience, the hurdles we overcome, the, the, the challenges to our preconceived notions. That's how we grow and expand and, you know, become wiser. And, you know, this collection of knowledge that we call existence and life, you know, so for the first time in history, you know, we have access to the constant affirmation, the constant reaffirmation of everything we think and believe. And I have to believe, at least from what I'm seeing, that that has negative consequence. And, and when you view it in the spectrum of artificial intelligence, you know, as it stands right now, all the technology that we love currently has AI behind it. And right a lot of it's not being used for what I would consider the betterment of man. You know, I think there are, there are, um, what's the term I want to use? There are unintended consequences that I think are positive for us. You know, I couldn't quantify all of them, but to your point, like, you know, you talked about, you know, being reminded of a movie that you like or something that you need, that you really did want and to buy. And it reminds you to buy or an old friend that Facebook reminds right, right. you or suggests for you to be friends. That's all kind of cool, but they're byproducts thing. of a much more nefarious set of computations. You know, uh, yes, Facebook by dint of its existence will recommend people that, you know, it'll do the six degrees of Kevin Bacon and know who you know <laughs> and guess who wow. you're going to like and who you're going right. to be friends with. But all that's done with the idea of this accumulation of more knowledge with a direct purpose of positioning, selling, and in some cases, manipulating, you know? So you think that the byproduct is, is the benefit, not the other way around? Like the consequence is not the byproduct, but the benefit is. Because ultimately, they're the goal of these, these uh, I guess you can say the owners of these softwares and technologies is to gain profit. And so as a byproduct, sometimes they do something good, like right. recommend a friend or recommend a movie or something like that, but really that's not their intended purpose. Their intended purpose is to keep us in the feedback loop. But we're constantly like my, consuming. Yeah, much like my earlier point about nuclear power. You know, when America gathered all the scientists in the, 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 da, the desert of Nevada to create the atomic bomb, you know. And the, the only idea, time we came together, we, we took Nazis, you know, ex-Nazi scientists. We couldn't come together to flip. create solutions. What? Project we paperclip. Talk, we still, still yeah. We still we, we, we didn't want to we didn't want to come together for the sake of improving mankind. We wanted to come together after a war to blow people up to well, kill them. And you know, it's weird. But you know, again, this is how I would make this point to make another point. Those scientists that were there at um, Los Alamos that were creating the atomic bomb, right? You know. Uh, it, actually, it, uh, Einstein said it was his greatest regret. Uh, a friend of his, a German scientist, came to him and said, we think the Nazis are creating an atomic bomb. And 
predicated upon that bit of knowledge, Einstein wrote a letter to Franklin Delano Roosevelt imparting to him the importance of America joining this race for the bomb. Because if the Nazis got it first, it could very well mean the end of America as we know it. And, you know, this piece of knowledge taken from Einstein, who was a rock star in his own time, held serious weight and credibility. So obviously, you know, um, Franklin Delano Roosevelt creates the, I can't remember the name of it off the top of my head, but, uh, you know, creates the, the, the project to create the atomic bomb. And every single one of those scientists believed that they were helping America, that they were helping mankind, that Nazis were the scourge of the earth, that the bad guys were very clearly defined. We were the good guys very clearly defined. And every single one of those scientists weren't creating the bomb with the intention of killing thousands of people. They were creating it as a deterrent in their mind. You know, if anybody's going to have it better, we have it first, you know, that whole escalation right. of, you know, humans are incredible at what we can justify the, ju the ends justify the means. How many tragedies have started with that statement? So I use that example to say that, in that creation of this atomic bomb, yes, the atomic bomb was definitely created to explode and kill people. But the things that came out of that enriched uranium were, you know, atomic plants and, and fissionable energy. And that was a byproduct of, you know, and again, there were other um, nuclear plants and stuff like that at the time or reactors. But really, the, the, the progress we made in the atomic bomb is what kind of gave birth to, a, to a, a, a nuclear power as we know it today. And, and it was the byproduct of a much more negative sort of, of, of device. And I think that AI is kind of in that same realm of as it stands now, it, it's probably being used and, and it doesn't, it, uh, will I compare its rot and destruction to that of the atomic bomb? Maybe not. Uh, certainly not literally comparison, uh, you know, pound for pound. Purpose wasn't, the, the the initial purpose wasn't for destruction. It was for innovation. Um, like these scientists but, creating AI, they're, they're geeks and they're calculus nerds. They're, they're, they're guys like you and me just trying to kick the societal can a little further down the road by making these incredible things. But you and I both know that powerful people who don't create those things will use those sort of people to their gain. And they have since time in memoriam, if that makes sense. That is, I mean, again, dropping knowledge for the for the podcast. I appreciate that because these are the kind of insights that I wanted. I want to share. You know, I want people to see what what would be. Well, let me ask you a question along the lines of, of what I was about to say in the first place, and that is, do you think that as we are today, as society is today, do you think that it is possible for us to change the direction of these technologies and where they and what they're used for, the use cases for them? Or do you think that we are, as you said, this, these dynamic creatures where it's not all one thing, not all black and white, not all good and bad. Do you think we're going to we're just going to keep progressing with a combination of good and mixed with the bad until eventually we just kind of shade or cut away at the the negatives of well, humanity? My answer to that is twofold. One, I believe anything is possible. I still firmly believe that. And I think that's what the heart of the curious person is. However. If history being I, if history is any indicator, then it's probably not going to go well, uh, <laughs> you know. And I hate to say that, but I, the way I've always described myself is the duality and battle between the romantic and the pragmatic. 
I'm a ro- I'm a romantic on one end, the poetry, the aspiration, the creativity, the beauty of life that anything's possible, but I'm a history buff. And 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 there's a very deeply pragmatic part of me that sees the sums of these equations and say if history is any indicator, um, you know, it's probably not going to end well and 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 not not necessarily catastrophically, but a lot of bad will have to happen in order for good to occur. And the good that does occur will probably be tangential or accidental. Um, uh, a, byproduct. a byproduct of a much more nefarious set of thoughts and ideas. And, you know, I don't remember who said it. It was a, it was, it was a philosopher, a YouTuber. <laughs> Hell, it could have been Walt Disney for all I know. <laughs> uh, uh, somebody said one time and it really stood out to me systems i.e systems what i mean systems i mean governments uh commerce business you know when a system exists it usually very rarely does it ever do anything that hurts the system the system's creation is almost like life in itself that its desire is to perpetuate itself the government wants to keep being the government Big industry wants to keep being big industry. Rich people continue to want to be rich. So rarely does the system ever create anything within itself that is a danger to the system. It's meant there to propagate itself on through history. The things that through time and history have changed the world, have changed humanity, is people that create new systems and ideas. And those systems and ideas are so appealing and beneficial that they break the pre-existing systems. You know, we have to get past this idea of trying to, you know, and I don't think it'll ever stop us from doing this, but the idea of, you know, and I'll use politics as a poor example, and I'm not trying to upset anybody that's listening to this podcast, and everybody's entitled to their opinion. You know, politics, the reason why government is kind of feckless and ineffective is because, you know, it, it, it to be effective might be damaging to itself. You know, the idea of keeping in control, if it would become effective and more efficient, there would be less of it needed i.e. it would lose some power or control. So there's nothing within that system that's probably ever going to be created as it stands right now that's going to damage the system and its existence on through time and history. Something alternative will have to be created, maybe in the same vein, maybe in the same framework. You know, it doesn't mean the thing though you have to burn the whole house down or flip the game board. Right, but, right. But, Change. you know, alternative changes and thoughts and ideas have to occur. And that's what you know, I have hope for when it comes to artificial intelligence and creativity. And like, again, I use the internet as an example of this, you know, when the internet first came out and I mean like, uh, you know, America online internet, the internet that we came up with, you know, AIM and, and Napster and chat rooms and all that (laughs) stuff. When it really became like something that could be accessed by all people, it was democracy at its best. It was democratized. People could do anything, you know, uh, the, the, everything was still new and we were figuring things out as we went and how this was, how we were going to communicate with one another. And I can remember watching a movie in the late nineties and somebody ordered a pizza through like instant messenger or something like AIM. And like, I, wow. my face melted off, dude. I was just like, that's the raddest shit I've ever, you, oh. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, holy shit. Like the future is going to be amazing. Oh yeah. It's a, and, and and the coolest thing I've ever seen was like game boy before it was color. I was right. like, what? You can play this game with all that. You could be in this whole world, and it was amazing. You can explore this whole world and collect things that's not real. It was, it was just life changing. But like, well, now, now think of, I'm sorry, God. I'm let me keep cutting you off. 
No, now there's a now there's a augmented reality and the the potential for augmented reality to to give us a completely completely revolutionary way of just interacting with technology in the world and information. Think about what it will take for this next generation to truly have their mind blown. I don't like even know. I can't even imagine. I mean, like I, I was blown away by the iPhone, by, you know, like I said, Game Boy Advance. I was blown away by Nintendo and Super, you know, N64. And those are the things that blew my mind each time. And then when they came out with, you know, smartphones, it was like they were constantly year after year blowing our minds. And now it's I mean, like the only thing they can innovate is cameras until, well, what? until you know, AR. Right, right. Like, and, and again, I say that I use that earlier reference about this this generation that transitioned from, you know, analog to digital and, and, and a matter of, you know, 10 years that came right, of age right, in, the, right. in the internet age, you know, we grew leaps and bounds far beyond what our, you know, what we kind of thought was the, the trajectory for our lives historically looking back, you know, and <clears throat> what it must now mean to a recent generation of people who are saturated with so much uh, uh, stimulus, you know, like, it, okay. If you, if you reduce a human being down to its most rudimentary principles, and I'm not, even underneath your, the hierarchy of needs you discussed earlier, the connection aspect of it. Yeah. Maslow's hierarchy. Right. Biologically, our imperatives are eat, sleep, propagate. Really? I mean, and again, I am using very simple terms here. So the lizard brain, they say, I think they call it the lizard brain. Right, right. Eat, you know, you know, uh, and if I can be crass for a moment, you know, eat, sleep, fuck. That's that's what we are designed <laughs> to. Our monkey brains want to do that all the time. And you could wax intellectual and some scientists and biologists believe that every decision that we make is filtered through those needs. You know, everything, you know, even the most complicated of thoughts and ideas so the most complicated of emotions are filtered through one of those needs and sure. when those needs are being met at the rate that they are now you know i.e 24-hour access to porn and every sort of food you can possibly imagine what does that do to the biology of a person we don't know yet because we haven't seen its effects long enough to have any sort of sustainable well, ideas to what the after effects are I think we have an idea. I mean, there's a the mental health crisis in the U.S. is pretty bad, and we have the most stimulated, you know, civilization of all of the of the nations. We're heavily. Wax it. I'm sorry, go ahead. I keep coming. It, no, it, that's that's it. That's it. We're we're heavily stimulated. At you, the U.S. has has literally the the most stimulation in the world. Is that is, the cart before is, the horse, though? Is that? Do you think this is there? Maybe more. And maybe. Well, worse? I mean, when I say that is is we do have a mental health crisis in this country. Is that? strictly is that causal or correlative and what i mean is is that a, is that a correlation directly to this overstimulus or is it a causal aspect of an overall healthcare system and society that has no that has complete and utter indifference to the person like think, you look at the possibilities of labor in this country and the idea of work that brings me back to a point i was going to make earlier downtime is imperative for people and that's why stimulus, although a good thing, being bored is very, very, very productive for humans. We need to have time using our imagination, creating things. Because if you're constantly being stimulated, 
you're constantly taking things in the pumps never reverse. You're never putting anything out. You're never thinking about things. You're constantly just moving from one entertainment to the other. And a lot of scientists believe, um, I don't know where I recently got this, but ancient man uh, did about 15 hours of work a week, actual work. Wow. And what they believe they used the rest of that time for was socializing, making music, dancing, spending time together. And they believe that that massive amount of socializing and time spent together is where the springboard of language came from. It's how we eventually learned to create words to communicate with one another. And had we not had what modern man would consider all that massive downtime, just hippies beating drums and dancing and communicating with one another, right? you know, this modern idea that you have to be this widget that produces 24 hours a day is a relatively modern idea that's only happened since the Industrial Revolution. Prior to that, I, I just read an article the other day. Medieval serfs took more vacation time than modern Americans do. That is a, that's a pretty, I mean, in comparison to today, to what we're like today, that's, that's kind of that's uh, that sucks so basically the feudal system produced more downtime than um the current economy now granted i don't have any problem with capitalism i don't have a problem with it it, 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 it's springboarded everything we're talking about artificial intelligence and technology and it's given us paved roads and electricity and all these amazing things so i'm not knocking it necessarily it's the it's the escalation of that that's become dangerous this idea that you constantly have to produce all the time, rise and grind, work hard, do these things to the point where we define ourselves by our jobs and what we do. And when we don't have a job, we feel worthless. And it's this acquisition right. thing. None of that. I'm not, I'm not knocking that. I'm saying we have to come up with alternative methods of looking at that in that it's okay for people to have downtime. It's okay for you to go socialize with your friends. It's okay to go on a hike. It's okay to read a fucking book. It's okay right. to learn a musical instrument. That doesn't make you less of a person. Yes, it may make you less productive, quote unquote, by the current definition, but does it make you more fulfilled as a human being? When did becoming productive become more important than being fulfilled? That is extremely interesting. Um, because the, the idea that we have accepted essentially for, for at least in terms of what our worth is, what makes us have value in today's society is what we can produce, how we can contribute to this system versus how we are exploring our inner selves, how we are exploring the human experience and enhancing it, how we connect with each other, how we raise our children, how we you know, develop creativity and learn. I mean, just like you're saying, all those things that we should be doing because the human experience is limited, we're not we doing time to that. Do now. We don't time or energy. We're, the desire is just not there because it's because we've given so much to the system. We've given ourselves to the system. It's like the, it's like the God of our time. Right. And the system, to my earlier point, is never going to do anything to damage itself as long as we continue to participate in the system. You know, and again, it sounds like I'm trying to tear the wheels off democracy and, and off capitalism. I'm not necessarily. What I'm saying is, is that, you know, we need to create an idea next door to the ones that exist and say, you know, what parts of this 
are good and what parts of this are damaging. And when I say that, like, I don't want, I don't want government or industry to tell me what parts of that are good or bad. I think we collective as a group of people need to come together and how you do that is beyond me. You know, these are, these are, these are questions that somebody for smart, I'll leave for somebody smarter than me to answer, but I, I, I'll still ask the question. We can speculate. Right. Um, This idea that think about the most miserable people, you know, and this is at least my obtuse opinion on the subject. The most miserable people I know, know nothing of themselves. They know nothing of themselves. They don't know why they feel the way they feel about things. They've never analyzed their past or their trauma. They don't know why they make the decisions that they make. And I, I mean, don't get me wrong. You'll always be a mystery to yourself to some extent, but sometimes for a person you have to heal so that you can hear what's being said without filtering it through your wounds. And if you don't do that, you're on the ride. And what I mean on the ride is you're participating in this kind of all these issues that I'm talking about right now. You're just going to work. You're watching the YouTube. You're, 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 you're looking at internet porn. You're eating fast food. It's just, okay, whatever I need to, to numb this feeling that I'm not fulfilled. I, oh, I don't, you know, and it's, it's, we do it. I do it. Oh, I'm not happy. I'll go buy something. And this will fill this void in my soul for a few brief moments. And then it goes on the pile with all the other shit I bought to fill the void in my soul. And, and what I don't realize is, is what I didn't need to do was go buy something. What I needed to do was take a group of people that I love and go on a hike or read a fucking book or listen to a beautiful piece of music and do something that's not necessarily quote unquote productive, but fulfilling. Excellent. And how we get from our current state of affairs to that, you know, <laughs> hippie yeah. at the keg ideal version of the world. I don't well, claim to know, or if it's even possible, but I do let's think do that. Then. These, I'm sorry, again. Let's do that. Then let's take a hippie approach and ask, and ask the question of how, you know, what, what, let's, let's ask the question of what could optimistically AI do to improve our state of being the human experience. What could, what kind of things could be done now? Let's start with the, the, way that society is today what are some of the things that society that ai could do to improve society as it is today i think that well and this would be i would be called a socialist for saying this um but i if i if if this is just me speak the spitballing in the ideal situation if ai was applied to the economic system and somehow could ensure that an allocation of resources could be given to those who have less and could help fulfill their hierarchy of needs. Wouldn't that go a long way towards raising the the bottom part of society out of poverty? And you know, forget the forget the ethical idea of whether people want to work or people don't want to work. Uh, forget all that. I'm saying that there's there's plenty to go around for everybody. Society would tell you differently, but there's plenty to go around. Now, billionaires at, will still be billionaires if poor people can eat. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. And how you get between those two juxtaposed ideas, I don't claim to know, but artificial intelligence could go a long way at analyzing, and, and, and it's the diet polar opposite of what's going on right now. Artificial intelligence being used to help bankers make microtransactions that help them make more money, which ultimately bleeds more money from the total system. And that collection of wealth is less for a, a larger percentage of people to then have in their lives. We've never been more productive as a society, but have never made less individually. 
So right. I think the idea of somehow finding using art, and maybe it's maybe it's not even a, a monetary uh, equation that the AI looks at, but maybe it's, it's just, and again, these are broad terms and they will require a lot more refining, but a societal AI that looks at designators of what we deem as a population to be happiness, i.e. being fed, being creative, being challenged, uh, work-life balance, you know, being around like-minded people and could analyze those quote-unquote quantifiable hit markers of happiness and align people to, oh, I'm feeling rough today. Well, you know, this AI would recommend that you do one of these five things. Interesting. That's, that's actually, I think that would be a perfect utilization for at least for now, because again, who knows, like we said earlier, who knows what other, what other solutions AI might have for situ our situation today. If we applied it to that, if we gave it a focus on how to improve our systems. I would love to see AI. Okay. Imagine this. Imagine taking every system that exists right now, setting parameters for fulfillment or happiness or whatever. And you'd have to get into the weeds on what is quantifiably happy in a modern society and so on and so forth. But let's say you gave that AI a set of markers or quantifiable experiences, you know, maybe they're a hundred hit markers of, you know, what human beings describe as fulfillment or happiness or joy or whatever, and let it run through the current system as things stand, but without a monetary tilt just done solely to drive what it has been told is human happiness. Oh, what a world that would be. I think or the monetary it, system is the problem. Well, I mean, yes and no, because no matter what happens, wealth accumulates, just given enough time. Well, you know, even in the most fair of systems, wealth accumulates. But now what it leads to is this exponential growth of accumulation. Like I read a really good quote uh, I think it was Jordan Peterson that said it. I looked up the article. Uh, a, a college somewhere took money, gave it to everybody, and it was like 100 people, and they all rolled dice. And it was just chance as to how they could accumulate the other person's wealth and what it ended up with by sheer chance alone that two or three people ended up with all the money. Wow. So even in a system of complete chance, wealth accumulates. So yeah, potentially. That's what, that's what the, alg the algorithm itself was supposed to balance that. So that's that's how we could apply AI to for the purpose of balancing that, that unequal distribution. But at a societal level, how do you do that without the quote unquote class warfare that super, that political politicians are going to, to lobby at you, be it left or right, because the rich want to stay rich. The rich want to have more. How, how do you convince, you know, because here's the thing, and I'll say, but I said it before, the system's not going to do anything to damage itself. So how do you convince people that this would be, beneficial for the poor and for the rich because it would have to be beneficial to both in order for it to work in the current system i mean i think that currently the the problem is that we have a value system that is very monetary um, it's monetary it's also it, it's something that i always say it's hyper individualistic it's just me 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 and right. so we when we think about policy or you know bigger political aspects of of our civilization we like to gravitate towards policies and ideas that only benefit or or more so benefit just the individual. Ooh. And instead of thinking about us, we live in this planet, this this planet together, we think of it as, oh, I'm here and my existence, my experience here is the only one that truly matters. 
And right. if people benefit from my contribution or my experience, then that's great. But ultimately, my main purpose is to benefit just me. That's it. It's kind of how we are as a society. We, our value Absolutely system right. is that. I, th I like that idea. I really like that idea because I think the human experience itself, I mean, it's confusing. We, we have a brain and our brain is telling us that this is, this is who we are. We are separate from each other. It tells us that by the fact that we are separated by space, it seems. And so therefore, how could we possibly be the same when right. we are, what we are, we're at least it appears that we are separate to but our own, you know, as we, as we pilot this meat suit through the universe, we all think the same thing, that this is a completely unique experience to me. Right, right, exactly. But it's, but it is a shared experience. And that's kind of the point. It's, I think the, I mean, you mentioned uh, earlier in the conversation towards the beginning, you mentioned about what intelligence is. And you essentially said that cognition, um, our ability to reason, to problem solve, to think, that is essentially how you can measure at least uh, the beginning of measuring intelligence in some way. It's our ability to understand this experience and, ex and, and properly navigate our way through it um, efficiently, effectively. That's essentially right. what intelligence is. Well, I would argue that we are not, we're obviously not an intelligent society because we don't operate from that perspective. We don't use that mechanism of intelligence to reason our way through this, this experience. Instead, we are operating through, as you said, fear and fear is what blocks our ability to have true intelligence, to be able to express ourselves intelligently and to explore this experience intelligently. Fear, it literally turns the brain's ability to think logically off for the most part. Right. And you work in the fight or flight instead of taking the time to stop and think about the problem and analyze it and use intelligence. We are just fearfully reacting to our environment, to our experience. We're afraid of being dumb or being perceived as poor. We're afraid of of not That's, being accepted. We're afraid of being thought of as ugly and all of those fears springboard the ignorance that you're taught. I think that's a really good point. I really, I never thought about it that way, but you're right. You're absolutely right. You know, I, I find it, I find it that, that I think the problem is that we want to feel valuable. We want our, our just us to feel valuable in some way, not just to ourselves, but to everybody else, to other people we want to integrate and that kind of ties into Maslow's hierarchy. We, we really do desire to connect with each other and to find value and purpose beyond ourselves. And so we're, we're literally working against what our natural inclinations are. I think we need every person, you know, from every walk of life, from, from the streets of Greece to the sub-Saharan plains of Africa to, to the Midwest, Wisconsin's. You know, every person throughout the annals of time have looked up into the sky and screamed at the world in their own way. Why am I here? What is my purpose? This all has to be for me. This all obviously has to be for me. You know, when one would argue intellectually, and I think Jim Carrey said this as a fact, you were born, somebody gave you a name and a religion and a society, and you build a personality around those things. Right. We are. And we are accumulation we, of our experiences that we are that, nothing but the collective sum of everything we've ever done and everyone we've ever known. That's it. That's a, that's a really important thought because we should, you know, the, the, the idea of time binding um, that, that each generation learns from the previous generation and not just that, but everyone around us, everything around us, our, our experience, we're learning so much and we continue to, to build on knowledge from the past. We right. don't make it up as we go along. We're not making this up. We're learning from it. Right. We're taking this, 
this perceived version. And, you know, and that's the other thing too, though, that's very unique to people, you know, and I think it, it's, and I think I have a very rudimentary understanding of this, but I think it's imperative for human existence to trod forward, to think this way. We kind of cherry pick, we, 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 we take our version of the past and make it work for us. We take what we don't like, uh, we take what we like and we leave the rest, you know? And, right, right. and, and you know, I think that we kind of willfully hallucinating our way through the universe. And, you know, these wild hallucinations, these, these, what I would call the issuing of one's will, the projection of one's will to make something happen, you know, could be right. the reason why Edison made the light bulb and Ford made the car. And, you know, these, these men who were driven by some indelible idea or thought to create or go pursue do is truly beautiful and human. It's just run through the filter of everything has to have a price and be bought and sold. And when that's the case, it's not necessarily productive. So is the system that we live in. And that's a, that's a shame. That's a shame. So, so then my final question, my final question is, I mean, we've talked about so much. We've talked about everything from philosophy to psychology to aliens. Uh, we go way off the AI map. I that, hey, listen, we, that's, I think it's all part of it. You know, it, it, we can, I don't think this is going to be the last of our conversations because there's so much to talk about and to expand on. Um, right. We couldn't possibly get it into this just one episode. But no. the final question that I have is what do you look forward to? What's, what's something that you look forward to um, a technology through AI? What's like the best or the most interesting thing to look forward to when it comes to artificial intelligence? For me, I'll tell you a very personal story. I uh, turned 40 last October. Happy belated birthday. Thank you, sir. I appreciate that. And that was the worst birthday of my entire life. And I'll tell you why. Oh, man. It's okay. It's okay. I, I, <laughs> I can talk about it clear-headed now. Don't make us cry. <laughs> no, 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 no. I, I, I lost my best friend who I've been friends with since I was oh, 13. His sorry, mother man. died a week later. Oh, uh, man. My other best friend from childhood who i'd known for just as long as jason died the week after oh my and goodness. then my grandmother died that week what? and uh two of my friends that i lost they died of direct correlation to addiction mm. one was drugs one was alcohol and they didn't die of overdoses of either but the effects the long-term effects that these chemicals had had on their body is what ultimately led to their demise young they both one died at 40 and one died at 44, I believe. And uh, these men, these were my people. You know, you can't make new old friends. You can only make new friends. And none of these, the friends I have now, they don't know the girls I dated in high school. They never sat on my mom's back porch. They don't, they don't have the collective experience and I miss them every day. And I have aspiration for artificial intelligence that these medical conditions that just destroy people, even if it's their own doing. I've had arthritis since I was in my early 20s. I got diagnosed with a thing called psoriatic arthritis. And what ostensibly happens is your body has an autoimmune disorder where it reacts to, if you were to stop and twist your ankle, your ankle would swell. Well, my ankle does that when I haven't twisted it. It constantly thinks that there's something wrong. So it's constantly trying to fix things. And what happens is, is it causes a degradation of the joints and it leads to arthritis. Right. I've been dealing with this since I was in my mid twenties and I'm not in any way, shape or form trying to put myself up on the cross about it, but it has been the major bane of my existence so much. 
and I, I blame it, but I probably could have done more. So many things I may have moved away or taken other jobs if I didn't have to have health care to get this stuff taken care of. It's really been a it's really been a thing in my life that has caused a lot of issues for me. And I look at addiction to my friends. I've had addiction issues. If AI can help people beat addiction, beat heart disease, beat cancer, my hopes for AI are in the medical field, especially what happens with business and, and, the fate of the world and all these kind of esoteric philosophical thoughts that we're having. I don't claim to know. What I do know is that one day science and artificial intelligence will reach a point where we can start fixing these broader, at least physiological problems that humans have. Right. And my aspiration for AI, my hope for AI is, is that someday a young man who's an alcoholic or a heroin addict or a man like me who has debilitating arthritis or a person that has heart issues or a young child that has leukemia or a mother that has brain cancer and get those things fixed and have a second chance at life. Even if they use every single moment after that to make mistakes, I'm okay with it because chance is what's important. What we do with it is so left up to interpretation. You know, you could see a man or woman and in your mind, they're just failing over and over and over again. And they could be living their best life and having the time of their life. You know, it's all up to interpretation. And I just, I want every human being, even the ones I don't like, to be given an opportunity to fail, you know, without the, without the impedance of a bad heart or one lung or cancer or a burning desire to eat too many chicken McNuggets or eat heroin or drink whiskey. <laughs> right. You know, I right. want somebody to have, if we can somehow bioengineer people and I, this sounds like some junk drunken German geneticist, wet dream. Go for it. Go for it. Just for people to be born healthier and with, with, with options to better healthcare and the fixing of more serious diseases and biological um, genetic weaknesses i would say like you know i would also love for them to cure balding obviously for personal reasons but <laughs> <laughs> yeah we're getting there. we're getting there right right but you know my hope is that what i and experienced during my birthday that nobody else has to experience and i'm making it all about me obviously a mother lost her son people lost uncles and brothers and 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 they lost them too young and you know we lost my grandmother to covid and I would like to think in a, thank you. I appreciate that. Um, I would love to think an ideal version of the world that we're discussing, that all of those could have been avoided by using things like artificial intelligence. People are still going to get old. People are still going to die. People are right. still going to get drunk and wreck their cars and kill themselves and be depressed and throw themselves off rooftops. However, you know, if we could find a way to curve back that, biological weakness of disease and addiction and you know i don't care i don't think people should live forever i don't think it's good for us to live forever but to be given every opportunity right to live the best life we can while we have it whatever that is and however you define that that's my aspirations for artificial intelligence that is a i think that's a very humanistic aspiration and, and i appreciate it and, and i want to say i 
all of your losses. I'm, I, I'm so sorry for them because there's, you know, when you lose one person, it's, it's hard enough, but to lose so many back to back to back. I know there are other people out there who have the same experience and they feel like you sharing that I think makes people, if they're going through that same thing, realize that it's not just them. And again, it shows that we're all, we are all connected. And if you care about anyone else, and you, I mean, I, you're, you're, I consider you a very good friend. I care about you, man. And to hear that it, it's, um, it, it hurts just as it hurts too. So but I, I tell you what, Marquise, I, I, I was in a dark place about it for a couple months, but I really, I got something really good out of it, man. First of all, I appreciate your kind words and, and, and I've been very fortunate and I do consider you a dear friend and I've been very fortunate to have the realization of how many wonderful people I have in my life through this, that reached out, that were there for me and and they continue to be there for me as I experience this. But you know, it also showed me that by its fleeting nature, life is really beautiful. And this, in this desperate attempt to conquer it, you miss it. (laughs) We all want to become rich people or popular people or loved people or, you know, more fit or, and I'm not saying that all those aren't lofty aspirations. I'm saying that it doesn't do well to dwell on dreams and forget to live. I make conscious efforts every day to be more present. That doesn't mean that I'm some fool with his head out the window, staring at the sky all the time, but I do look at the clouds I lay on my back and watch the stars. I listen to beautiful pieces of music. I read wonderful literature. I go and I laugh with my friends. I eat cheeseburgers sometimes, and I drink too much whiskey when I want to from time to time. (laughs) And I experience the richness that is the existence of life and all the joys that it has to offer. Because you know what? All that pain is what defines the pleasure. Trauma is the sand the grain of sand in the clam that becomes the pearl. It is the thing we build our personalities around. It is what defines us and makes us who we are. And we can either let it defeat us or we can at least use it as a springboard to view the beauty in life. And I think Bill Hicks said one time that every decision in this world is a choice between love and hate. And it's no more than that. And that sounds, again, like wildly philosophical, hippie sort of things. And I'm still a hateful, angry, stupid prick sometimes that says things I don't mean. And I hurt myself in ways when I don't eat right or drink or do things that aren't good for me. But I'm trying to make conscious efforts as I reflect upon myself and who I am and why I make the decisions that I do to experience the richness in life and the beautiful things in life and see more of this world through do more for others. My grandmother used to tell me all the time, if, 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 if you're feeling bad about yourself, do something for somebody else. Amen to that. I appreciate that. I appreciate everything that you've, you know, you've um, shared today. And I definitely appreciate you sharing some of the trauma that you've experienced recently, um, especially around your birthday. I've lost, I lost my father um, four days before my birthday. And I, his funeral was on my birthday on the 22nd. So um, of March, just passed so it would every year hey listen i've i'm every year it's gotten not easier but it's it's um it's not as hurtful but i always think back to the conversations we've had and those experiences you know the history right that's something that you were just talking about you can't make new old friends that history is between you and them 
And you can't share a history, not at least experientially. You can only talk about it. So yeah, it's, it's, but that's the beautiful thing for you too, man. And, and, and as much as I went on about how much we're all one, that experience between you and that person is unique. Yes. You know, maybe the things you feel are universal, the love and the joys and the laughter and the hate and the anger and the frustration, they're universal human thoughts, but that experience between you and your father, that is unique to no two other people on the planet. And that is uniquely beautiful too. And Amen. all I've learned from all this trauma is, and again, this is not me playing the poor me card. I don't want anybody to feel bad for me. I've had a lot of time to work all this stuff out. I want people to derive some sort of positive thought from this in that, you know, if the people that you lose mean something to you and they're gone and you're still here, it's your job, not in any sort of burdensome negative way, but to keep their memory alive. If it's just by you staying alive, you know, but I guarantee you that those people taught you something that is pivotal to your personality, that they gave you something that makes other people love you. And by doing those good things that those people taught you by perpetuating those things down through time, you're keeping those people alive in your own way. And I think that's also uniquely beautiful and human too. I agree. I agree. Thank you. Again, Drew, I appreciate you coming onto the podcast and give, you know, taking the time, cutting that time out of your day. I thought you would only give me an hour. It looks like you gave me um, uh, two hours and it still wasn't <laughs> enough. Um, well, so I'm hoping that we'll be able to do this again. Well, I, I, I appreciate, uh, and I said, I was all over the map as I tend to be when I have these sort of discussions, but you know, in the That's tenure of our friendship, we've always had really good discussions and oh yeah, in a world where people spend more time talking about the weather and, <laughs> uh, their own fragility, it's nice Vanity. to meet. Yeah, yeah, that too. Or fear. Uh, or it's fear. nice to sit down and talk about ideas with somebody in a world that I think has forgotten what it's like to talk about ideas, because when you get two people in the same room that, that 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 have a creative dent or have an optimistic dent then you can't offend one another I've, you've never once offended me in the tenure of our friendship because i know you well enough to know that anything you say is just merely a person with hope asking questions trying to figure a thing out and i think if all of us tried to apply that same filter we'd be a lot more happier well the same i think we you know you you remember my um my perspective is unique and uh, as I remember, not everyone uh, took your ideas so well. <laughs> I remember getting yeah. yelled at. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot all so, about you know, that. You know, yeah. I, I I will never forget. It was the craziest and funniest thing. <laughs> but I remember your ability, your your attempt to deescalate. But again, it, it's I don't get offended. It's hard to offend me. It's extremely difficult to offend me but because I think that it's all interesting. I think it's all right. interesting. But so. I think, and I again to quote. I can't remember who said that. to risk to have a good conversation is to risk being offensive. That doesn't mean people have to be offensive, but in this world that no longer wants to, to be hurt in order to have good ideas and change the world and have different thoughts and ethos is you have to risk maybe saying things that people don't want to hear. And there's nothing wrong with that. It kind of does sound like Jordan Peterson, actually. It's some, I think like it is Jordan Peterson, that. actually. Yeah. A, well, all right, man. Well, I'm, um, this is where it ends for today and uh, look forward to the next time we have a conversation. We're going to expand on these because again, man, you have some really good insights and the way that you think about the world and, and the human experience. 
is is so interesting and i think everybody needs to hear that so thank you for coming on today drew you're too kind marquis thanks for having me i've really really enjoyed this conversation look forward to having more absolutely thank you take, take care, care bud.